This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hope you guys are all doing well. I am Mr. Merker, the Beard of Truth, Jason Line, as you guys can see. I do have finally, I'm in the new room, so we are ready to, to rock and roll and have a great time. Uh, thank you guys for, for joining in tonight. I hope you guys had a wonderful uh week. We are now finally here at the weekend, the big Fridays. Friday nights are always a, a fun time where we get to recap the week. If this is your first time coming in, my name is Jason Line, Mr. Murka, the Bearded Truth, your neighborhood-friendly libertarian, coming to talk to you guys about what's going on across the country, give you guys my insight, and uh, be able to hopefully be able to turn you guys into thinking more about the individual and less about the collective. This is a driving task that is uh, absolutely important if we are to understand what the founding fathers wanted when they created the frames. Of, uh, of our federal government. So, without further ado, without further ado, well, actually, let me give you a recap of what we're going to be talking about. Not a recap, but uh, a little peek into what we're going to be talking about today. So, the economy for the first quarter is a 3.2% GDP growth. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and talk a little bit about the spending as well. Um, because you can't just talk about the growth without talking about the entire picture that that is happening there. Um, we're also going to be talking a little bit about uh, some of the spending, some of the entitlements there. 
So a lot of good stuff there. We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, veterans affairs, right? The veterans, are they being taken care of well across this country? Um, AOC recently made a comment that needs to be addressed. We're going to talk a little bit about the wrap-up from the Mueller report. Uh, uh, of course, Americans have opinions on how it went out. So there was a recently a poll done. So we're, we're going to get into that a little bit. Of course, polls don't mean much, but it's at least enough in order to, to look into it and see what the general feel of things are, especially when we're coming up next year being the presidential race. While we talk about presidents and, and the races therein, of course, we've got to talk about Joe Biden and what's going on over there on his side, as well as Bernie Sanders making some making some heads turn and some some brows get get uh, get wrinkled um, as he was talking during a town hall meeting. So we got a lot of things to talk about. And of course, I will be here to discern it with you guys and to make sure that we are um Popping through the facts and uh, getting rid of the partisan talking points. So once again, thank you guys for coming in. I appreciate it. Um, Jesus, I look like a ghost. Let me see if I can adjust it a little bit. How about is that is that a little bit better? All right, I think that's a little bit better. I see I've got a little little roll to the floor. So if you guys see me just slowly shift off to the left, you guys know what it is. Um, actually, uh, oh, look at that. I finally got a little bit of color again. Not much, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. So let's get started with this. Yes, as I said, the economy, the economy is doing well. So what we've been seeing from the since the Trump administration came in and uh, since President Trump was elected, there is always a concern. There was always a question on if he was going to achieve his 3% average, if he was going to achieve the 4% average, or even the 5% average, which he uh, said occasionally. Well, with the first quarter of this of this year, of course, January, <laughs> January uh, through March was a 3.2%. I'm going to rewatch this. Thank you, Eddie. Um, we just started on, so you don't have much to rewatch. So if you want to just stick around, we, we got plenty to go through. Um, a 3.2% growth. Now, what was expected was about 2.5%. So we have about 0.7% growth from there. What does that mean? That means that we're having a large amount of commerce is happening. More commerce is happening than what was expected. So more jobs, more, more trade, more deals happening and everything else. Good and beautiful things to see, right? You want to see a high GDP growth. Um, inflation is 1.4%. So we're having... Um, <clears throat> we're having that entire debacle. Yes, we we will get into the 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 decent people comment later on. Um, that was obviously the other thing that's going to be coming up with Joe Biden. So we're having more involvement. We're having more trades being going out there. But the problem is is that this isn't this isn't clear indicative of of every aspect of the economy, right? We're still having sluggish consumer spending, which means that the people aren't really coming out there and spending. Um, spending all of their own money, right? You're seeing a lot of investments, but you're not seeing a lot of people going out and spending it um, uh, amongst themselves in the way that we've seen prior to the 2008 um, housing market crash. So it's great to see this happening. It's great to see commerce going up. It's great to see a high GDP number, right? Most presidents hit the 3%. Uh, president Obama was the, the only president not to average that over a year. Um, since this was a statistic being analyzed. Um, 
So with that, right, you would expect that if we're having a large amount of GDP growth, if we're seeing a lot of trade going on there, and that you would see the federal government making an increase on their revenue. Well, because of the Tax and Jobs Cut Act um, from 2017, so two years ago, we're not seeing that, right? The, the tax cuts that came in, the cut to businesses, the cut to, cut to the middle class, the cut to the wealthy, that has enabled people to spend more, which helped the commerce grow. But because you're, you're throwing in a, a couple less pennies uh, per transaction, that means that the revenue could fluctuate. If you get a, an exorbitant amount of more transactions, you can see revenue increase, um, which is something we saw early on. But now that that's kind of dwindled away, life is getting back to normal. People aren't super excited about the tax and jobs cut act because the media has been able to control that narrative for so long. Um, now that we have that, it, it's it's dropping down a little bit. So the revenue is coming down um, a little bit to the federal government. So they're not able to extort as much. They're not able to take as much away from, from each one of our transactions. And that's been hurting them. The bigger issue, the bigger issue is that spending itself has been growing. If we've been following President Trump since the campaign trail, he's been saying that he wants to end the national debt by the end of his his eight years in office. He he promised eight years in office, and he said at the end of those eight years, the national debt will be kaput. Sadly, in February, the U.S. budget deficit hit $234 billion. $234 billion, right? A quarter of a trillion dollars is what was increased, which was tacked on to the $22 trillion in debt that this nation is already sitting at. So there has been a revenue issue. There has been this issue that we have seen for generations. That is that when you spend more than you have, when you spend more than you collect in, you raise the debt. It's simple math. It's simple economics. For some reason, we have this idea. Democrats think we'll just raise the taxes and that will somehow make it to where everyone wants to, to continue on making transactions in the same way that they are and they'll increase the revenue. And Republicans think that they'll just cut the taxes and they'll be able to spend more. Both of these things don't work. Democrats spend more than what they increase the revenue by, and, and Republicans overall are keeping revenue about the same if you look at it over, over the course of these things, and they're increasing the, the spending. So we have both of these parties, both the Democrats and the Republicans, that are spending more money than what they're receiving in, and it has inflated and grown the national debt to, to a truly atrocious number. Welcome in, Forgotten Man. Um. <clears throat> It, it's a huge fundamental issue. And it's it's only something that we see be discussed when on the campaign trail. Why is it only on the campaign trail? Why can't we actually have these discussions when it's important? And that is every single day that, that Congress is in session, every single day that the president comes out, they should all be saying, we are working to remove this. We're working to minimize. We're working to diminish the deficit there. Because this deficit has been created through bad programming, through bad, uh, through bad budget plans, through bad spending, through bad faith programs. We need to reel these in. We need to actually fix these issues. But instead, what we have is a 70, almost a 70% of our spending is going to entitlement and welfare, which brings us up to another big issue. This big issue 
this big issue that's coming up and this has been spoken about for going on like a decade. The issue is, is that Medicare, Social Security, Medicare and Social Security and Medicaid are going to be insolvent. They're going to run out of money. So with Social Security, when it was created in 1913, there, well, We'll go to 1950. In 1950, a couple, couple decades after Social Security was implemented, we had about 16, 15 or 16 taxpayers paying for one recipient on Social Security. Now, if we look at that in today's times, we're looking at two or three taxpayers paying for each recipient. So the numbers have been the the burden has been consolidated onto less people and the resolution from both sides simply is not cutting it. The resolution from the Democrats is to raise the taxes. We need to we need to bring in more money. We need to just it doesn't matter the burden because we have to take care of these people. We have to take care of our our older generations. There's there's a fundamental issue there, and we'll get into that in a second. The Republican side is just to point at it. Some of them are honestly pointing at it, but nobody is actually pushing out legislation because it's political suicide to say, hey, we have to we have to nip this in the bud, and we have to have a, an escape plan. We have to have a point in which these things are not feasible to, to, to exist in this country any longer, and certainly Social Security should be one of them. What it did... And the fundamentals of what Social Security did was it said, look, don't worry about your retirement. We got you. We have you. The American citizen, you pay throughout your careers, throughout your lives. You, you go and work and you work a good job. We're going to take a couple couple pennies. We're going to take a couple dollars. We're going to you know, keep taking money from you. And then once you, once you get to retirement age, we're going to just... We'll help you to the end of your days. We're going to give you that money each month. And uh, Supreme Court has already ruled that there's no ownership of that. There's no no inherent right to the money that you put into these programs. So even though you think that you're promised this money, the Supreme Court of the United States has already said that you're not guaranteed that money. So there's, there's a huge issue there uh, that nobody wants to address, that nobody wants to handle. And, and that's certainly one that has to be addressed. That's certainly one that has to be handled. Um, because if you're not guaranteed that money, why are you why are you forced to pay into it? Why are you forced to pay in to provide for others when there's a chance that you won't be able to receive it in the end? And also, if it's a good idea, it doesn't require force. So this entire program made people reliant upon the government by saying, we're going to take care of you. And then at the end of the day, it's not guaranteed. Stop giving Social Security benefits to illegals. Stop giving it to legal. Stop giving it to American citizens. Put an endpoint. Um, there's there's discussions, and we've seen this from um, even Paul Ryan when he was still in office. One of the discussion points was to raise the late age of of Social Security. Right. So if you're if you're nearing that age, uh, maybe you got to wait another three years. Maybe you got to wait another four years. So we'll just we'll just consolidate the number of people receiving. And then that way it'll be better off. Well, now you're hurting people in the in the interim of when they retire and when they they go on to social security. So you're making people work longer. Um, and of course, that doesn't. None of the ideas that have been put out there are are things that people want to get onto because it means that it's more 
detrimental to somebody, to anybody. And so the logical thing is, I believe in my generation enough. Let's nip this in the bud. Let's take care of it now. And let's say, all right, we'll pay into this. We'll take care of the next next generation. But if you are, let's say 20 years from now, 20 years from now, Social Security is now taken out. It no longer exists. If you're on Social Security, you can still receive money for that. But you have 20 years from now. If you're not getting on Social Security in that time, you are going to have to take care of your own retirement. Oh, it's so horrible to ask people to be responsible for their lives. What about the poor people? What about these people? What about that people? Yeah, well, they're going to be saving a little bit more money now that they don't have to pay into Social Security. We... As we, as we shrink the size of government, as we remove one of the things that government spends, spends money on, that means that more people are going to have a little more freedom. And then we can also rely upon the communities and, and the people around us rather than just having our hand out and expecting the government to, to, to give it in to us. So looking at this entire thing, understanding that the entitlement system, the welfare system from the federal government being almost 70% of its spending is a huge reason why we have such a large spending issue. Take out 70% of $4 trillion. I'm rounding, rounding the spending number down. Round it down, take $4 trillion, 70% of that, cut it out. Mm. Mm. Look at that. $1.2 trillion is left over. $1.2 trillion spending, and we're, we're, right now we're collecting about $3.6 trillion so now you're putting 2.4 trillion each year into back into the debt 22 trillion we're getting below 20 trillion in a year age discrimination oh yeah i i don't disagree there is age discrimination nobody wants to get somebody that's old that's already already worked themselves to the bone that is old and and I'm going to say decrepit, but that's not that's not to be an attack on them. But but certainly their mobility, their their um, their muscles, their tendons, their joints, and everything else are not nearly the same value as as somebody younger on on average. And so it's a lot harder to get the same output from them. So yes, I agree that there is age discrimination. It is not a it's not an easy world. It's not. And, I, and I'm sorry that the government in the past has failed you. But eventually we have to say, we have to find a generation that's willing to go, we got screwed in the past, but we're willing to take it head on. We're willing to, to, to stand up and say, we are going to be a free society. We are going to be a civilized society. And that means that we don't have to steal from one another in order to do the things that we want to do. Um, this doesn't mean that Social Security has to be removed entirely. This just means that the government has to be removed from it. If people want to donate into Social Security and we have a privatized Social Security system, I have no problem with that. Good luck getting Bernie Sanders to support that, but put that. Put that out there, right? I, I'm be Become one of those people that says, look, you send me money, I will find the elderly. I will find people that are in, in, in critical condition. I will find people that are incapable of finding a job, that have no revenue coming into their household, that need help, and I will go out and help them. We can have privatized, voluntary systems where people are able to support one another, and that idea is somehow lost because the government does it, and so therefore I don't have to do it. The government replaces replaces good voluntary systems with extortion and theft 
And then they even failed to provide it in the long run. So this is this has been a huge fundamental issue that has just been simply ignored. So huge spending issues, $234 billion spent in just February alone. Um, there's no no end in sight on the spending. This has been an issue. This was this was an issue that President Trump had pointed at uh, President Obama and said, "Look at the way he's spending money. He spent ten trillion over over his eight years in office, and and he promised not to do the same." But with these records being set, with new deficits being set, he's he's looking to surpass that number quite handedly. Um, it's not a it's not a good time. It's not a good time if if you want to not be a hypocrite. Um, so I want to shift over. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez was asked a question about the veteran affairs healthcare to veterans, and she was quoted as saying, "If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. How dare you try to fix something that's not broken? Does she actually know the statistics? Does she actually care about this?" Um, I like your idealism. You'll change as you get older and get more experience. We'll see about that. Um, does she actually know anything about about the Veterans Affairs? Does she actually care about the veterans? Does she actually care about those at war? Does she care about the issues that were created by government and, and its foreign, foreign policies and uh, foreign interventions across the world that have led to veterans having high rates of suicides? Um, to being just absolutely destroyed and, and being incapable of coming back and being normalized um, to work within society? No, she doesn't. <sighs> and here's where things go, go wrong. Here's, here's a quote from her. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Some of the highest quality health care for uh, in, insisting that the Veterans Affair. Oh, man, it just popped around. Insisting that the Veteran Affairs provides some of the highest quality health care for veterans. She said people who advocate for privatized Veterans Affairs are only trying to fix it in favor of pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, Big Pharma is the, the reason why um, everybody wants to get the VA or the veterans out of the VA. That's absolutely it. She says that some the VA provides some of the highest quality health care for veterans. Now, if we have for veterans... If we have some of the highest quality health care for veterans, why is it that veterans are committing suicide at 22 per day? Why is it that veterans are killing themselves at VA health centers in protest of the health care that they are receiving or are being refused to be seen for for, or for military um, issues? It simply is, is a well-known truth by those who've been involved with veterans or been involved with the veteran uh, veterans affair directly, that the VA is a failed system where they do not provide you with health care. They do not. Or the health care that they do requires long, arduous waits. They also require so many hoops to jump through in order to be provided this. Me, myself, you guys know me. I am a veteran of the United States Navy. I served on a submarine. I had plenty of, of instances and events that happened that are well documented throughout my history in the military um, that have been just outright refused by the VA um, that have been denied as being service related, despite the fact that I was in military uniform, doing military actions, went to a military hospital and went to military follow ups 
and everything else, not service related. So the VA refuses service to many veterans, the services that they do provide. So if you guys have been following my life, I have PTSD. I've suffered from PTSD from a, from an event that happened in the military while I was in. And for them to provide me healthcare on this, what they had put me on were sample medications, medications that were not quite yet fully tested. So I was effectively a lab rat. So there were many medications that I went on that had very, very destructive side effects. But this is some of the highest quality healthcare in accordance with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It's just a matter of people are just shills for the big pharma. That's all that they are. They want big pharma to have more opportunities. No, we want the veterans to have the opportunity, the availability for them to go figure out, hey, this place is, might be able to provide me with better health care. They might be able to see me in a timely manner. They might actually pay attention to me. They might listen to my concerns and it might not fall on deaf ears. So the idea that people would like to have more competition for who wants them as a patient isn't a call for big pharma. It's a call for a, an entity that actually cares about their patients. This is something that the government has failed to do. This is something that the Veterans Affairs itself has failed to do. And while we talk about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her, um, her love and affection for the Veterans Affairs, I was outraged when I read that. I was, I was upset when I read that because it is just equivocally false. I later found out that President Trump was asked the same about the same thing, and he too defended the Veterans Affairs. Now, one of the things that he, he spoke about, one of the key pieces of evidence that he spoke about in saying that the Veterans Affairs was actually providing a good health care for this country was the fact that he had helped write or helped pass a bill that would allow for veterans to go out and get private health care. Now, the hoops that you have to go through in order to be um, to apply to go to a private healthcare, um, to go to a non-VA non healthcare system, or provider, the hoops are, are plenty. If you go to a private place, you have to go through hoops before you go to them. And then depending on what your diagnosis is, depending on what you're actually treated for, that also requires to go through a small defined list. And if it doesn't have to be on those lists, Good luck, veteran. The bill's on you. So President Trump and AOC absolutely wrong on this topic. And it it truly is disheartening because what we see, what we've seen from the government is that they put the American troops and good men and women that wear the uniform that are just doing it because they believe that they're going to serve their country. They're going to protect our freedoms and our rights here in, here in the homeland. They take them and they plant them in other countries. They plant them in, in Yemen. They plant them in Saudi Arabia and Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, Syria, Egypt, Korea, North Korea, South Korea. Or, yep, that, that was historically. Uh, they've put us in Japan. They've put us all around the world. And this doesn't, this doesn't mesh well with a healthy psyche, if you will. And so people naturally get messed up. And so there is a line of reasoning that if you cause a problem, then you should be a part of the solution. 
And sometimes being a part of the solution is stepping out of the way. So I, I really do hope that what we can see is an expansion of what President Trump was talking about, an expansion allowing more veterans to go see other people. This isn't a call for like what AOC said, which is always a hollow comment that this is a call for big pharma. This is a call for actual compassion for the troops. This is, I support the troops. I don't support the wars. I don't support the conflicts. They're not in America's interest, in America's defense. I'm not in support of those. I support the troops. And when you create a problem, you should be a part of the solution, even if that solution is you getting out of the way. Mm. Sorry, that one, that one really does. That one gets me all kinds of riled up. So the Washington Post performed a poll. Now, if you guys somehow were living under a rock and you guys missed what happened in the last two weeks, we had a big bomb drop, a big bombshell coming from the Mueller team. So Mueller dropped his response, his his findings from the 22-month investigation. This was dropped off to William Barr, and William Barr, in accordance with the law, was supposed to give his depiction of what is inside of it. Now, that's, that's all fine and dandy, um, but he didn't do that. What he did was, he worked with the Mueller team, and he redacted a bunch of the information. I have no problem with that. He redacted all the information when it came to grand juries. He redacted information when it came to ongoing investigations. And he also asked the president if he if the president wanted to use his presidential um, authority in order to or executive privilege in order to redact some of his personal conversations, some of his private conversations. As most of us know, anything that the president says in private is classified immediately. It is classified. You're not supposed to talk about it. This is one of the issues when it comes to um, to leaks and everything else. President Trump refused to or declined the opportunity to redact information. So all of this information came out. Um, What we've seen is a lot of pivoting from the left. We've seen a lot of, of, of grandstanding on both sides. And as an end result, the Washington Post runs a poll. And, and I have to, I, I don't say I disagree with a lot of this. So from the poll, they ask some very simple questions. Some of these Depending on how you ask a question in any poll, you'll get different results. But here's one of the questions. Do you approve or disapprove of the way Donald Trump is handling his job as president? 39% approve, 54% disapprove. All right, so that one's just kind of getting a a, a general feel of how these are going to go. As you may know, Special Counsel Robert Mueller has completed his investigation of possible collusion between Trump's 2016 presidential campaign in Russia. Do you feel that Mueller report is... Or is not fair and even-handed. If you guys believe, I, I, I didn't expect this number to be so high. Fifty-one percent, fifty-one percent believe that it was fair, fair and even-handed. I thought I really didn't have faith in the American populace. I really did not. Fifty-one uh, percent thought that it was. Twenty-one percent thought that it was not. That it was not fair or even-handed. And twenty-eight percent, so even more than people that thought that it was unfair. Uh, had no opinion. That, that I am part of that 51%. If I was polled on there, I would be definitely a part of that 51%. It seemed very fair. Um, it was it was well documented. It was well researched. Uh, 
you know, it, it may have been a waste of money because there was nothing found, but it was well done. All right. Do you think that the Mueller report made you think more positively of president of the Trump administration or more negatively? Now, despite the 51%, uh, only 11% of people thought more positively. 23% felt more negatively. But 58% had no change. This was something that I was talking about. I think I was talking about this on Boogie Bumper's show, um, that this would have no change. Uh, It may have been something else that we were talking about. But the end thing was that nobody is changing their opinions based on one big event or another. It's just true with politics. From what you've heard or what you read, do you think the Mueller investigation cleared Trump of all wrongdoing or did it not clear him of wrongdoing? 53% thought that it did not clear Trump of wrongdoing. 31% thought that it did clear Trump. So here's where the media malfeasance really did stir up some some concern, some trouble. 53% said that it did not clear Trump. It cleared Trump of any collusion. It cleared him and his administration of any and all wrongdoing when it comes to collusion. So that's where 31% of the people were correct. Now, the point of contention where Democrats, where the media has spun this and pivoted this, was saying that there was obstruction of justice. There was no obstruction of justice. I'm sorry to tell this to you guys. There were attempts. Trump talked to people about obstructing. He wanted people to obstruct. But wanting something and actually going through and doing it are two different things. Right? I want to take a billion dollars and throw it in my bank account. But I have not done that. So you guys can't get me for theft. You guys can't get me for stealing. You can't get me for robbing banks. You can't get me for any of those things because nothing happened. So it's really difficult to go down the path of it didn't clear Trump. It, it is. It really does come down to the media malfeasance. This next question is where that, that gets... Um, that gets more involved. Do you think Trump tried to interfere with the Russia investigation in a way that amounts to obstruction of justice, or did he not try to do this? 47% thought that he tried. 41% tried, did not think that he tried. So they used the word tried. Did he, did he try to object, obstruct? And then, of course, people can say yes to that. Did he obstruct? Uh, that should be a no. That should be a firm no from anyone. So this poll really does, you can see the way that people, um, the way that the media has been able to work that entire thing, um, been able to work the narrative and, and, and pivot on a dime and change it up and make sure that the American people still realize that orange man bad. He may not have good policies all the time. He may not be uh, a president that I'm always proud of, but... When it comes to this investigation, the man's been cleared. But Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton just can't let it go. Trump would have certainly been indicted if he was not president. He would have been indicted if he wasn't the president. This is coming from a woman who should have been indicted and was not the president of the United States at the time in which he committed the crime. She still isn't, but nonetheless, uh, enough bagging on her for that. When it came to her investigation, right, she obstructed justice by destroying information. She That was clearly defined, that was clearly labeled, and called out by FBI and James Comey. Um, so she did that. She had classified information on unsecured 
on unsecured servers. This was called out specifically by James Comey once again. Um, it, it's it's always interesting to see somebody say this person should have been indicted, but they weren't for whatever reason. And it's just like it doesn't. It, it takes like five seconds of a Google search to figure out Clinton. You probably shouldn't be talking about indictments. Now I don't think Hillary Clinton's ever going to get locked up. I really genuinely don't. Why would Hillary Clinton get locked up? Because then suddenly Washington's all about holding themselves accountable. If you guys haven't missed this, there are two classes of people in this world, in this country. I apologize. In this country, there are the political people. There are the establishment political people. And then there are everybody else. If you're a part of everybody else, those laws are extremely applicable to you. If you're a part of the political class, you can have the entire case spelled out to the public, to the courts, to Congress, spelled it out, and then say, yeah, but I wouldn't charge her. Don't, don't charge her. This is true of both sides of the aisle. I'm not going to say here and act as if Democrats are the only ones that have done wrong, that have done extremely illegal activities, that have broken their oaths of office, that have openly defied the Constitution and not be held accountable for it. It's, it's disgusting. But while we talk about Hillary Clinton, I do want to bring this up because the DOJ, for whatever reason, doesn't get enough publicity. Welcome in, Colleen. You guys may have missed this. For immediate release, Wednesday, April 24th, 2019, just, just mere two days ago, Former State Department employee pleads guilty to conspiring with foreign agents. Ooh, this gets interesting. Candace Marie Claiborne, a former employee of the U.S. Department of State, pleaded guilty today to a charge of conspiracy to defraud the United States by lying, by lying to law enforcement and background investigators and hiding her extensive contacts with and gifts from Agents of the People's Republic of China in exchange for providing them with internal documents from the U.S. State Department. So on Wednesday, we have a former employee of the U.S. State Department pleading guilty to working with the People's Republic of China. Huh. Why has China and spies been... What was in, what was in the news last year? Involving somebody with a Chinese spy in California, senator, a gun-grabbing senator, Dianne Feinstein. She also had a Chinese spy working with her. And now we had one at the State Department. Somebody that was providing information. Hmm. Wonder how many other people haven't been indicted yet. That haven't pled guilty to helping out Chinese government, to helping out foreign entities. Now, this was something that has been going on. She started in 2010 and went all the way up to 2016. So she was there for a good long while. According to the plea documents, Claiborne 63 began working as an office management specialist for the Department 
state in 99. She served overseas in a number of posts, including embassies and consulates in Baghdad, Iraq, Paratorm, Sudan, Beijing, and Shanghai in China. As a condition of her employment, Claire Borden maintained a top secret uh, uh, security clearance. She was also required required to report any contacts with persons suspected of affiliation with a foreign intelligence agency, as well as any gifts she received from foreign sources over a certain amount. She failed to do that clearly. Um, Let me see if I can find those dates. Ah, I don't have those dates. But when she was receiving these gifts, these gifts were from 2010 until 2016. Um, Obviously, coming in at 99, makes you wonder who was the president at that time. And, you know, the the whole buildup from there. So, who's involved? Who's not involved? The questions are, of course, never going to be answered. But we do know we have clear evidence that over there on the side of of our government, working with foreign governments, not in the interest of the American people, right? She didn't pull a Snowden. She didn't pull a, um, a Julian Assange. She wasn't releasing information to the people to say, hey, look, these are the atrocities being committed by your government. No, no, no. She was just providing good information to other, other countries. Sounds like a grand, fantastic thing. Let's keep trusting our government. Let's just keep trusting them. Hmm. All right. Let's get into the let's get into future potential presidents. Yesterday, Joe Biden. Joe Biden. He announced his presidential race. And with that, I do want to play it for you guys. Um because Mr. Joe Biden makes it clear that he is going to start off with slander and attacks. Um, and this is this is really the point of the title today. Let me see if I can get through this. Let me see if I can get a good one. And, and so when he does this, when he does this video, and if you guys haven't seen it, we, I will be playing it for you guys here in no time at all. I actually here. Let's just go to his, his Facebook page or his Twitter page. Um, he makes it clear that he doesn't, he's not interested in, in coming out in amongst the, the crowded field that is the democratic, uh, presidential hopefuls instead of going after them or coming out and talking about actual policies that he wants to implement or talking about specifics of why it is that he should be voted for. He instead decides that what we should be doing and what we should be pushing for is to hate President Trump. We have to hate President Trump. We have to do it. So here it is. Charlottesville, Virginia is home to the author of one of the great documents in human history. We know it by heart. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights it's good that he starts off with this right it makes him seem reasonable it makes him seem like he understands the history of america it makes him understand you know what what it means to to appreciate the founding of this country we've heard it so often it's almost a cliche but it's who we are 
We haven't always lived up to these ideals. Jefferson himself didn't, but we have never before walked away from them. Charlottesville is also home to a defining moment for this nation in the last few years. So he goes straight to Charlottesville. Why does he go after Charlottesville? Because there's been a lot of malfeasance there, and we will get into that, of course, as soon as soon as this comment is made. But it's something that really does grab you by your emotional heartstrings, and you go, yes, there was a lot of atrocities there that day. There was, there was ugly people out there, and there's a good way to spin this and to make President Trump look bad, and that's going to be the focal point of this. It was there on August of 2017 we saw Klansmen and white supremacists and neo-Nazis come out in the open. Their crazed faces, illuminated by torches, veins bulging, and burying the fangs of racism, chanting the same anti-Semitic bile heard across Europe in the 30s. And they were met by a courageous group of Americans. I don't think that it was an inaccurate depiction. There were plenty of racist people out there. There were plenty of people that wanted a white ethno state and everything else. Um, sure, I I agree. Um, but he he focuses on that group and he focuses on this group. There were more groups than that there. And a violent clash ensued, and a brave young woman lost her life. And that's when we heard the words of the president of the United States. Do you notice how he has to use the the young girl who was killed by the the, the vehicle? Um, he had to use that, right? He talks about the clash, and then he talks about that. If I recall correctly, and I hope that I am, they were merely marching, and the guy, the kid was driving, and then just slams on the gas because he was being surrounded. Uh, it wasn't really a clash of when that happened, but by the way that he depicted it it's very misleading and makes it seem as if these people intentionally went and killed her and were targeting her it was mob mentality um and 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 all of its atrociousness that stunned the world and shocked the conscience of this nation so president trump said something that shocked the world stunned the nation he said there were quote some very fine people on both sides so he he did say that is an accurate quote. But much like what we've seen with the Mueller report, will they give you the full quote? Will they give you the context? Of course not. The quote that I was talking about from the Mueller report was when Jeff Sessions, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, comes in and tells President Trump, hey, they've opened the special investigation. And with opening the special investigation against you, it's on the, the Russian investig- or it's on Russian collusion. And Trump slumps back into his chair and... His quote was something to the effect of, this is the end of my presidency. I'm fucked. That's the quote that they wanted to pull out. Now, if they would have given the full quote of what he said, was he said, yeah, I'm fucked. It's going to take years for me to clear my name. They say that whenever one of these start, it takes years for them to go through. And it's going to take years for me to clear my name. And this will be the end of my presidency. I won't be able to accomplish anything. And despite that, President Trump was still able to accomplish some things. Whether it was good or bad, it doesn't matter. He was still able to accomplish despite the fact that he had this this gloom and gloom and doom hanging over his head. This cloud of the Russian investigation floating over his head for two years while being president of the United States. 
So there was there was the snipping of the context in order to fulfill a narrative, much like what Joe Biden said here. So Joe Biden points out that he said, President Trump said that there were very fine people on both sides. Now, when President Trump was talking about this, he wasn't talking about the extremists. He was talking about there were plenty of people there at the Charlottesville event that were on both sides of the aisle, that were on both sides of the argument, some that were saying, let's tear down these statues. Let's tear down Robert E. Lee's statue. And there were people on the other side that were saying, Let's not tear it down. Let's keep those up. Let's keep our history there to where we can point at our history and say there were some disgusting people in our past. There were disgusting things that we did in our past and understand that we should never go back to those. And so there were good people on both sides. That is not including Antifa. That is not including the ethnostate alt-right or, or any of the people that were espousing or utilizing violence. It's a simple thing. But you can use these talking points in order to tear at others. Very fine people on both sides. With those words, the President of the United States assigned a moral equivalence between those spreading hate and those with the courage to stand against it. I like that he said that, right? Those that were espousing hate and those that were willing to stand against it. The media never once has criticized Antifa. And Antifa is something that I used to cover quite often because they were really prevalent across this country for a little while. Antifa uses violence. They use fascism while claiming they're against fascism. And they they commit acts of violence against people, whether they're Trump supporters, whether they're all right, or whether they're actual Nazis. It doesn't matter. If you are to the right of them, then you are fascist and should be punched. It should be beaten. But Joe Biden here was supporting that hate. Hmm. And in that moment, I knew the threat to this nation was unlike any I had ever seen in my lifetime. I wrote at the time. So Joe Biden continues on. Of course, he's got a he's got a, a narrative to spin. He's got he's got to push that as as much and as long as he can. Welcome in, babe. Um, he's got to push that narrative as hard as he can, and it really has been making people question why would you push that narrative why would you push that right now because as we know there are 20 members of congress or not members of congress there are 20 members of the dnc pool right now hoping to get into office hoping to become the next president of the united states in 2020 why are you not trying to separate yourselves from them and i I was sitting down thinking about that and and i think one thing is clear while they've all taken small jabs at the president None of them have made such a a large swing. So in some ways, he is differentiating himself from the rest of of the crowd. This may be a political win for him in some some aspects. He may be able to get a big swing in his favor because he has been polling higher than Bernie Sanders, who's in second place, and the rest of the the other 18 who are at best, like I I think the highest number behind them is 9%. They're like 24 and 26%. So he, he he is definitely hoping that that trend can continue on. He can use the, the Trump derangement syndrome across this country in order to forego the facts, forego what his past has been, what his history is, um, and hope that he can just continue to uh, to ride on the coattails of Orange Man Bad and in, on his way into the presidency. I think what we're going to see 
with Joe Biden specifically is the fact that his name recognition is only going to get him so far. He's only going to trend for so long before, all right, Joe, what do you actually have to put up for us? What policies do you want to see? What changes are you going to actually fight for? If your change is only to change out the presidency, what are you going to do once you achieve it? This has always been one of the issues, right? When I look at Republicans that are running and they, they say, look, I'm, I, I got to help President Trump fulfill his agenda. I want to help President Trump. I, I'm here for President Trump. I am a support Trump, uh, a Trump supporter, and I'm coming into office in order to fight for him. My question to them is, what do you do when President Trump is out? What do you do? What What are your morals? What are your principles? What are your values? What changes are you going to try to implement? Or are you going to wait on wait on on the call from above to tell you what to do? I don't want a puppet. I want somebody who's got good values and, and principles. And Joe Biden, if the Democrats can actually look for that, Joe Biden doesn't really have much. He's been in office for forever. He's much like Bernie Sanders. They've never really worked a real job. So they've just been going with the flow and just hanging on and doing whatever it is that they can. But and at the end of the day, they're, they don't really have a way of actually implementing any of their ideas. Now, Bernie Sanders throws his ideas like, like candy, but the implementation, he comes up dry every time. Joe Biden doesn't have ideas. He doesn't have a, an, a scintilla of originality about him. The only thing original about him is that he's the only one ballsy enough in the media right now to go and sniff every tuft of hair that comes in front of him. He's the only one that's ballsy enough to grab onto the women during the time of the Me Too movement. So maybe that's enough for Democrats to get on to to supporting one of the new old white men after they've been railing for the last two years about how old white men don't need to be running this country anymore. But I, I don't see it. Joe Biden... I think he falls off towards the end of this. I really genuinely think he falls off on this. Now, I want to I want to move on from Joe Biden onto the other candidate that I mentioned, the other presidential candidate, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders during his town hall event really does make some uh he really makes a lot of heads turn. And and with this, you have to wonder. So he is number 2 on the polls or he's number 1 on the polls, one of the one of the two. Um what you kind of want to do there if you're Bernie is wait until you start coming down and then do this. But Bernie Sanders comes out while he's effectively on top and pushes kind of a Kind of a radical idea. Senator Once again, Sanders, what we're seeing from him have... is that he's grabbing onto a libertarian view, a libertarian core value. Now, this is not a value that every libertarian has, but this is something that did spur up from libertarians. Um, and, and we'll get into that. But here's the question in full. said that you believe that people with felony records should be allowed to vote while in prison. Does this mean that you would support enfranchising people like the Boston Marathon bomber, a convicted terrorist and murderer? Do you think that those convicted of sexual assault should have the opportunity to vote for politicians who could have a direct impact on women's rights? 
That's a fantastic question. Am I? It's a fantastic question. You said basically everyone should have the right to vote. Do you agree that terrorists should be able to have the right to vote? Do you think that rapists should have the right to vote? Do you think that they should have the right to vote while in prison? Imagine my shock. Okay, thank you for the question. And, uh, and let me just say this. What our campaign is about and what I believe is creating a vibrant democracy. Today, as you may know, we have one of the lowest voter turnout. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. ...of any major country on Earth. I want to see us have one of the... All right, so while that, while that loads up for us. So Bernie Sanders talks about, we have a really low ter- voter turnout. So you know those people that we, we have consolidated in little cages that are being treated probably pretty poorly by some standards and really great by other standards? Uh, we'll, just, we'll just put that. We'll, we'll, we'll put that right in front of them and make sure that they get that. Um, I consider myself libertarian-leaning, but I don't think they should get a vote. Um, yeah, we, I, I, will, I will get into to my views on that um, here in a second. I, I'm right there on you. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not libertarian leaning. I, I am. Um, but let's see if we got enough now. Highest Looks like turnouts. And by the way, what we are seeing is more young people getting involved in the political process, but not enough. And in my view, if young people voted at the same percentage that older people voted in this country, we would transform this nation. But why does, why does Bernie Sanders want young people to vote? Why does he want so much involvement at the young level? Because there's always been an old saying, right? If you're young and you're a Republican, you don't have a heart. Or if you're young and conservative, you don't have a heart. If you're old and you're a Democrat or a liberal, then you don't have a brain. So he wants to grab as many of the young voters because as we look out at the polling across this country and and colleges and young adults, they are notorious for being democratic. Um, In recent generations, we're seeing a little more liberty coming about, which is why I think he's trying to grab onto some of those liberty roots, not really grabbing the concept, not or the context, not grabbing all the information around it, not gaining the principle, but just merely plucking out, cherry picking things that may get headlines, may get him some visibility in, in the pursuance of trying to grab on to the liberty movements. Um, one thing that one piece of evidence that we have for this, is, <coughs> pardon me. Is that Tulsi Gabbard, Tulsi Gabbard from second district of Hawaii, also another presidential candidate. She's been getting a lot of libertarian looks. Why? What is this Democrat doing that is getting the libertarians to look at her? Well, she's anti-war. So she's grabbing on to that anti-war thing. She's a veteran in the United States military. And she says, look, we don't need to be in these conflicts. And libertarians are loving it and adoring her. And, And as they talk about it, as they continue to grow that, movement she gets more publicity she grows bernie sanders obviously has some people with him that that agree with this idea and they want to to try to peel away from the libertarian movement as well so that he can get that that next edge he continues to get to your point we live in a moment where cowardly republican governors are trying to suppress the vote and in fact right here as you may know in new hampshire the legislature and the governor are working hard to make it more difficult for young people to vote. 
more difficult for young people to vote. They're doing this by passing voter IDs. So if you don't have your ID, you can't vote. Uh, I don't think it was in this comment. Let me let's finish it out before before I make this make the remarks. And to me, that is an incredibly undemocratic, un-American process. And I say to those people, by the way, if you don't have the guts to participate in free and fair elections, you should get another job and get out of politics. All right. So we got to. All right. So he doesn't. Um, so one of the things that is commonly said is that if you uh, are in favor of voter IDs, so if you're in favor of people having to prove who they are, prove their citizenship and everything else, then what you're doing is you're hurting black people because black people can't vote because black people don't have IDs because they're incapable of doing this. Sounds like sounds like it's not the voter IDs that's racist. But uh, but uh, but anyway, so if, if on that basis, on that idea, you're right. You know, requiring people to show their ID to buy alcohol is racist. Requiring people to buy cigarettes. Requiring IDs for people to buy cigarettes. That's racist. Requiring people to show their IDs to get on airplanes. That's racist. Requiring people to show their IDs for anything and everything. That's always racist. It's racist for a cop to to have somebody show them their ID. This stuff is stupid. It's it's absolutely insipid. But I, I want to get to the point where Bernie Sanders actually handles this comment. So here is, and to answer your question, as it happens in my own state of Vermont, from the very first days of our state's history, what our Constitution says is that everybody can vote. That is true. So people in jail can vote. Now, here is my view. If somebody commits a serious crime, sexual assault, murder, they're going to be punished. They Murder. may be in jail for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, their whole lives. That's what happens when you commit a serious crime. But I think the right to vote is inherent to our democracy. Yes, even for terrible people. Because once you start chipping away and you say, well, that guy committed a terrible crime, not going to let him vote. Or that person did that, not going to let that person vote. You're running down a slippery slope. It's beautiful. So thank you, Bernie Sanders, for telling us which rights are most important for people. The right to vote. That's the right that's most important. When you're incarcerated, when you're thrown into these cages, when you are thrown into jail, the right to vote, that's the one that has to be protected. Do we protect the right to free movement? No, no, no. They're in the cage. Do we do we take away their right to, to, to defend themselves with with? You know, in accordance with the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms. No, no, no we got to get rid of that. They're in a cage. Um, what about freedom of speech? Do they get to go out and redress their grievances to the government? Do they do they get to go and be the the be a freedom of the press and, and go and speak to, to people outside? No, 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 no. We got to suppress those. Um, I don't know. Do they have a right to privacy? Do they, you know, does it require a judge to give them an oath or affirmation to go and check on their person's papers, properties, and effects. No, 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 they're, they're in a cage. It's fine. Um, so the, the only right that you're worried about is their right to, to continue to live and the right to vote. It seems like you're missing a lot of rights there. You're missing a lot of, of things that are supposed to be protected by the Constitution that you really just genuinely don't care about. Um, but meanwhile, you want to make sure that people are voting. Now, let's go down the logic train of what happens when you allow people that are in jail for up to life the ability to vote. Now, as the population gets more and more 
um, involved with, or if we allow for, for criminals that are actively in jail to vote, um, first off, you're going to see them vote. Um, I don't, I don't really see them. I wouldn't see them voting for Democrats. Um, maybe in the way that being more okay, maybe, maybe down the pedophile line where we've seen, um, some left leaning groups being more okay with pedophilia, um, outside of the church. Maybe where we've seen the left be more okay with some forms of sexual assault, as long as you're a Democrat, um, you know, documented stuff. Maybe you can get some of those people. But other than that, like, I'm not really sure that Democrats are guaranteed these votes. It's not like illegal immigration where um, people say, all right, well, Republicans want us deported. Democrats want to give us everything. Um, so I'll, I'll vote Democrat. You're not going to get a clear cut on that. So I don't think that this is necessarily inherently going to be good for the Democratic Party. But you're also going to see people fighting for legal or against the war on drugs, which is a huge population of our prison system. I'm in favor of that. I, I, I'm genuinely all right with anyone and everyone who wants to fight against the war on drugs. I support you. I support the end of, of the war on drugs, whether it's um, opening up for recre recreational marijuana all the way down to recreational heroin. It, it, regardless of what it is, I don't think that merely having something or, or consuming something or ingesting something or injecting yourself with something means that there's a victim. And if there is no victim, then there is no crime. So that may be something that gets torn away. We can see candidates that could support. Now, also at the same time, now you have politicians that have a new base, that have a new market, new people that they have to go reach out for. Are they going to, you know, be like the Hillary Clintons and talk like one way to one group and talk in another way to another group where, you know, they'll go into the prisons and they'll, they'll have their nice little rallies. They'll have the, the bigger, beefier prison inmates that'll be protecting them, providing them with security. And they say, look, you guys vote me in. You guys are going to get filet mignons next week. You're going to get uh, some, some lobsters the week after that. You're going to get, you know, get a nice fat T-bone every day for lunch. The promises will be a plenty. So I, I guess in that way, Democrats will, will of course, be able to, to get some votes. But putting another voting base out there, I don't think is necessarily good. If we want to change up the voting base, and this would hurt me right now, maybe we need to, we need to go after people who actually have skin in the game. People who actually own land, people, you know, moving back that way. I would be more in favor of restricting the vote rather than opening up the vote. Put a litmus test. Put, a, put an intelligence test. Put a civics test out there. If you don't know that there's three branches of the government, you certainly shouldn't be running for office, AOC. But you also maybe maybe your vote doesn't really count as or shouldn't count as much as as somebody who actually understands the system. Um, I think that opening it up would be more uh, disastrous than than beneficial. Now, Bernie Sanders, this was the town hall from CNN. He also had a town hall from Fox News, and you know, props to the man for going on Fox News, but. Didn't handle a single question. Did not. Bernie Sanders is the pivot king. He is the man that can, uh, you ask him a hard question, you say, hey man, you only put 3% to charity. Yeah, well, I mean, other people put a lot of money out there. We do what we do. 
time goes on. Um, all right, Bernie. Well, uh, you're a part of the 1%, something that you've been railing about for years. Yeah, but those billionaires, those billionaires. All right, Bernie, you finally released your tax return. You want to talk about those? Yeah, but President Trump hasn't released his. The man has pivoted on everything, on anything and everything during that discussion. And Democrats or Bernieites uh, thought that he really won the night. If you're objective, if you actually wanted to hear answers to the questions, if you are independent, much like what Bernie Sanders claims to be, then you would see this as he didn't answer a damn thing. The man has no clue what's going on. And uh, hopefully... Hopefully between him and Joe, neither one of them wins. I'm really voting for the uh, the Meteor 2020. Let's bring the Meteor 2020 for the DNC. I, I really would love to see the DNC just have so many infighting, so much infighting from the 20 different candidates. I hope they just start ravaging each other and start tearing away at it. What sucks and what is sad is that it looks as if they're all going to play amicable. They're all going to play nice with one another. Throughout this time, instead of tearing each other apart and disenfranchising the party. So if you're a Democrat, let me know. I, I'll give you your talking points and you can start trashing the other candidates. Because we need the Democratic Party to tear apart. They are moving They are moving past socialism, right? They want to have, they basically want communism light, which is exactly what socialism is. But they, they really do want to start tearing at the, at the paychecks of everyone. Bernie Sanders was asked during the Fox News town hall, hey man, you want to spend like 10 trillion over 10 years? You want to spend, or sorry, 100 trillion over 10 years? Where do you want to get this money from? Yeah, but Trump, Trump's spending a lot of money right now. Like 100 trillion dollars over 10 years. That's the Green New Deal. That's Medicare for all. That's free college. There's so many different ways that this money is being spent. Welcome in, Wilson. Um, that this money that they want to spend, and they have no idea of how they're going to collect it all. You take it from all the billionaires. Collect all of their assets. Collect all of their property. And you won't even be able to fund the government for a full year at the current rate. How are you going to do it for 10 years at over 100000 or or $100 trillion? It's just not possible. Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, they're living on a throne of lies, and so many people are eating this up. I think that's going to end it for tonight's show, guys. I realized we went through all the topics, um, and I didn't give you guys an opportunity to call in, but I hope you guys all got a little bit of good information from tonight's show. hope you guys are well. I will see you guys this upcoming Monday. I want to give a big thank you to Muddy Waters Media for allowing me to use this platform to share my opinions, my views, and uh, my thoughts on everything going on. I want to give a big shout out and a thanks to Spike and Matt for that. And uh, I'm going to see you guys this Monday. So do not drink and drive or ride with those who do. You have family and friends who care about you and love you deeply, and they want you to get back here and uh, to be safe. So I will see you guys Monday night. I am Mr. Murka, the Bearded Truth. Jason Lyon. Hope you guys all have a great night and a safe weekend. See you guys soon. Music's not wanting to go now. There we go.